All right. Uh, thank you for joining us, everybody. This is Ignis Maddox here. We are going to be discussing a very exciting film today, uh, Trigger's latest, Promare. Uh, joined, as always, by our my host, Stephen Hero. Hello. And PMC Trilogy. Sup, folks. <laughs> uh, we have a very special guest. Uh, today we are joined uh, by Caitlin, who is a writer and editor for Anime Feminist. How are you doing, Caitlin? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Okay, I think is a good answer. Yeah. Uh, the world is burning, but... Yeah, should we should we tell people what date we're recording this on or not? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I would say it's... Um, what I would say is if you have uh, any additional income or any energy to spare, I would suggest that you focus your energy towards your local uh, black creators, black voices, uplift them, and if there are any additional bail funds, definitely focus on that. Find your local... Uh, DSA and see what they're doing and help them out. That is Mechanation's official. Yep. I'm I'm a, I'm throwing us down on that. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I'm not there with you. That's the policy. Yeah, fully agree. Caitlin, uh, before we we jump in, were there any particular notes you wanted to say when, about either Premiere or your tastes? Anything? We were Mech podcasts, but I think if you want to d- discuss any anime, I, I want to hear about that. All right. Well, I mean, I'm a t- huge anime nerd. It is a major part of my life. <sighs> I'm actually I'm not that huge of a mech fan. Um, I like some of it. I like uh, Planet With and Gridman. Does Gridman count nice. as a mech? I would count. So we we're kind of umbrella. We we count Super Sentai, or at least I would. I, I would count Kaiju. I would count so in, even like you know robot stuff where you have someone who has a remote control instead of piloting. We're we're pretty free form about this stuff. I, I think any time where you have like person-sized robots. That's where it starts to get tricky. Like I wouldn't say Fully Cooley is a mech show, right. but I-, I would say Gridman is definitely a mech show. I would all count right. that. Yeah, no, I was all about Dot uh, Gridman. <laughs> um, I first one of the first anime I ever watched was Gundam Wing on Toonami when I was twelve. Yes, um, I need to revisit that show someday because, in retrospect, it was absolutely wild <laughs> it's a ride that's we, for sure <laughs> yeah we um, have been having oh pmc go i was ahead. gonna say i don't want to plug our, our own podcast too hard but if you go back into our archive you will find that we we did cover the first uh, i think it was 25 episodes up up until the the two recap episodes in the middle of the show and we will be returning uh to gundam wing at some point hopefully later this year but we'll see all right yeah but yeah no i um i've been watching anime for almost 20 years now um because time is a fake concept yeah <laughs> um, for real i watch a big chunk of the seasonal anime every year i go to conventions every year except for this year because this year is canceled right. um <laughs> and yeah um sort of a a big big anime nerd i want to say when it comes to watching the seasonal stuff i, I want to shout that out because i i, I could, would consider myself a fan but i really i cannot for the life of me keep up with everything it is a struggle and, and it's mostly like taste where mm-hmm. I, I just can't you know I, I find that as far as your like output like really impressive and your ability to keep up with that stuff especially with putting up with shitheads i have to say <laughs> like oh, God. I, yeah <laughs> the the shitheads are and sometimes I I, uh, I don't you know deliberately provoke them, but I do intention like I do say, oh, I'm gonna write this thing, and I know it's gonna be controversial, but I think it needs to be said. Um, yeah. In yeah, terms but of I mean, it, 
I was going to say, in Sorry. terms of it being a small world, I wanted to ask, Ignis, were you at Oticon 2008? I know you've been to Oticons in the past. I believe so, yes. So that means uh, so many people have been to Oticon 2008 unbeknownst to each other, which is wild to me. The person I'm dating right now was at Oticon 2008. Didn't meet her until <laughs> like 10 years later, but just throwing it out there. Excellent. That's so funny. I, you know, just to, just because we're on the topic of Gundam Wing, I promise we'll talk about Promare someday. But um, I just wanted to ask, were you... Were, were you were you a duo head? Were you duo? No, I or? was about Catra. Oh, I respect that. That's so Thank awesome. You. My husband does not respect that. So here's the thing: Catra is kind of complicated for me. I don't I don't know if you if you know me because uh, I grew up in an Islamic household, mm. uh, and so when when I was watching Gun and Wing growing up, I was it was kind of this huge mixed bag because I loved Catra the character. But but I wish he was a little browner. Yeah, <laughs> just a little tiny bit. I, I can totally see that. Like I hundred percent understand that. Like the, having the Arabic character be like platinum blonde is oh my goodness. Kind, is it's a choice for sure. Not only not only that, but like he he all the people he leads are like these obvious Moroccan XPs, and it's oh boy, it's yeah, rough. it's. It's that anime life. I'm um I'm watching um Fate Grand Order with my partner right now and uh a lot of the characters there are suffering from that same sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, totally. Um, Fate Grand Order's character makes some choices with the character designs on a I, I lot will, of levels. I will post a gif in this chat and the boys I've described Fate to the Mechanations host here as um sex pokemon before. <laughs> It is, you know, it is a, it is fun. I really enjoy watching Fate on some levels, but it is it is a spectacle show, which is kind of what we're talking about today as well. I don't mean that in a dismissive way. It's just a lot of fun for your eyeballs. Yeah. Um, but moving on to the topic at hand, uh, we were talking about a Trigger's latest cinematic release, their only cinematic release, I guess, if you're not talking about the two, I guess... Did Trigger put out no because they were still Gainax films. The two Girl and the Gone films is that correct? Same that hero. Yeah, this Gainax. is Promet. Yeah, this is a Trigger's first feature film. But um, I've if you listen to our history, we we discussed how Ameishi, who was the director for this film, uh, worked on those films and how you could see those as kind of a a stepping stone for these moving forward. Is that the case, or am I forgetting? Correct. Now, um, I did not see Premiere in theaters. Did the rest of you? Yep. Yeah, I think three times. PMC, did we see it on one of the re-releases, or did we? Yeah, see it we saw it on the the second go around in December because we we our our local theater kept sh- kept having uh, sub times like on a regular basis, but we really wanted to see me me me, me and Steven really wanted to see the uh, the the dub version. And so I think eventually in like a, like a Tuesday in December, our local theater had it again. Yeah, dub boys for life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will, I will I will make you guys happy, and I'll, I will let you know that the first time I watched it was the dub. But Caitlin, you said three times. Yep, I saw it three <laughs> times, all dubbed. It was I. All, I saw it dubbed every time because I really, I really, and I think PMC. I talked to you about this um, when it was out. Like, like you, the, there's so much happening on screen at all times. Like normally, I'm totally like in support of subtitles or whatever makes you happy, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely you know, whatever makes you happy. Uh, but. Uh, for this, like, I really, like, every, like, it, there was just so much happening that I didn't even, like, process half of it 
And like at the third time, I was like, did they add footage? And my friend was like, no, you're just like, there's just that much going on. For sure. Um, but yeah, no, I saw it three times uh, in the theaters. Um, f- yeah. Did you happen the to catch the two- uh, 4D showing? I did. That was the third time I saw it, which was a lot. <laughs> how, how was how was that experience? It was, <laughs> you know, it was it was fun. There was, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who is prone. My friend, when she gets unfortunately she gets migraines, mm. um, and so it was not a super fun experience for her. Um, but like, yeah, no, it was super fun. There were a couple of things that, like, I had never gone to a 4D showing before, and there was, they have one thing where the seat basically, like, punches you in the back. I was going to ask if you got punched. I was, yes. This is the thing I've heard which, about 4D. Which activated my fight or flight response. <laughs> oh, no. And for me, it's fight. It's always so fight. I, I remember like, this. Yes. <laughs> yes, PMC knows this well. Um... <laughs> And so, like, I wanted, like, I I kept, like, getting that, like, adrenaline hit of, like, wanting to, like, turn around and, like, slug whoever was behind me. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) overall, it was really fun. Except for, at one point, they blasted the smell of uh, what was supposed to be pizza. Um, Oh, no. Previously, they had blasted the smell of roses. And so it smelled like pizza mixed with like rotten roses, and it was foul. Ooh, Ooh bread and roses gone bad. You hate to hear Ooh. it. Ooh. <laughs> and, but but overall, it was pretty great. And they had a sing along of um, Inferno at the end. That's cool. Which was which was really nice. It was really great um, being part of that. Was it a packed house? Yeah, yeah, it was, I don't know if it was 100% full, but it was pretty crowded, and it was very interesting because um, this was the time when people were talking about doing, like, what, I can't remember the t- the term for it, but, like, the screenings where, like, they do, like, the call and response, um, and when I came in, there were people, like, at the theater handing out glow sticks and stickers and stuff i was like oh no are we gonna have one of those crowds because yeah like you know time and a place people time and a place i'm all forgetting rowdy at theaters when it is the right time and place but this was but um and like the girl next to me was like talking about things in a way that was making me go like oh no but actually the audience was really well behaved which was nice and i had a little gallo sticker on my to put on my laptop until it wore off oh no poor gallo poor gallo he's got no stamina yeah i guess is it this might be a good opportunity because when you when you talk about the call and release and the glow sticks I, i think um there is a sort of idea that there's sort of different cultural, not cultural, there are different fan approaches to these films. And and sometimes you get, I've been to a couple anime screenings, right? And and it's a thing where it's rare enough that, that when the fan community comes out, it can be, you get a little bit of everybody. You get, of course, young people, and then you get people who are old heads, you know, like us. And then you get people who are going with their group of, like, friends from high school or what have you. Um, and when it's that kind of hang, you really get like the one I'm thinking of, I, I went to, I think and this is again, 
I'm old. Uh, I went to the screening of the first Naruto film. Oh, I do not man. remember. Yeah, uh, I think. What I, year is I, this? this? Well, this is the other thing is, and this is a shonen film, so like none of it matters. It, it's all just noise. Jump movies don't matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the most part, they don't. They they can't um, like they can't do anything in the continuity. Right, exactly. No, I, I mean, even there, though, you can play in that space in a way that's interesting. Like, I feel like I can remember, this is not to drag things, like, I can remember Sailor Moon films in ways that I can't remember individual Dragon Ball or Shonen film. But anyway, um, the uh, the crowd there was really, really a huge mix of ecstatically excited for the dub of Naruto and also there to mostly dunk. Um, and I feel like Premiere was probably a universally ecstatic like for the film crowd is that fair to say for y'all yeah yeah yeah, definitely when it comes to the 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 glow sticks and the the and stuff like that caitlin do do you have um do you do you have any insight for that because i don't think i know pmc is is not like he he sees some flashes of that sort of fandom stuff and i think steven hero does not uh he didn't have a twitter yet and does not do online so do you can you speak to that yeah so like the crowd was mostly younger um in terms of anime fandom in terms of my part of fandom i'm about average in terms of anime fandom at large i'm old um you know i have i have friends fandom friends who are in their 40s and 50s and but like you know most anime fans these days are in their teens and 20s and so they are tend to get kind of caught up in their own their own circles and they kind of forget to and they start thinking that like it's all for them um and they they kind of forget and like they get caught up in that very youthful enthusiasm um which i am sympathetic to that youthful enthusiasm feels great when you got it um and they kind of forget that like no there's some people who really just want to come in and see this movie so yeah uh, That's a good point, Caitlin, because I, I haven't been to many anime films and theaters that attract like a large group, but I have been to a lot of video game concerts, and the audiences at those are incredibly mixed bag. Like like you said, like some some audience members are very consumeristic and they only think of themselves, or they get so ecstatic with uh, next to the person they're with that they feel they have to explain all of the plot points of Final Fantasy X to the person sitting right next to them as the music is reaching like a crescendo. It's incredibly Ugh. frustrating at times. I once went Ugh. to a, a Pokemon Orchestra concert <laughs> in which during a uh, a vocal number, uh, someone was trying to explain that most of the crowd doesn't understand the emotional significance of this piece to the plot of the Pokemon <laughs> game. And I was like, please. <laughs> I, like, I love that you're into it. Like, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're both here. But, you know, be mm-hmm. read the room. Yeah. Why would you... Sh- why would you shame me publicly like this, PM? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but some, it's, it's sometimes a- at the concerts, I do want them to participate. Like when Nobuo rushes the stage and starts like conducting one one winged at the end. Yeah, that's when you like get up and cheer. Not like during like two Zanarkid. Um, but yeah, like it's it's a kind of tribalism. Um, it's it's in sort of an in group thing, and you forget that not everyone there is part of your in group. This is really making me want to do, this is not a mech thing, but I would love to do a podcast about age dynamics and fandom. <laughs> like, especially right now, I feel like this is this is happening very fast because of Twitter. But um, I, I feel like this is the sort of thing that as we are seeing 
bigger companies like Sony acquire things like Funimation and, and anime becoming more accessible overall i'm curious to see how the the dynamics when i was when all three of us the the hosts of mechanations were were growing up with anime it was way more you know you you had dvd releases and stuff like that but i think the vast majority of us did our our consuming you know not necessarily with pirating but you know through back channels and stuff like that right you had to you had to go out of your way for it you really cultivated it your own sort of uh, uh, fandom in a way that you didn't really get to mix with others until you went to cons, right? And cons mm-hmm. and going online, that's really when you start to pick up on your, you know, your idiosyncrasies and how you you're interact with the community dynamics and stuff like that. I don't know. I, I'm, I feel like that stuff is really starting to become worth discussing, especially as people are becoming creators and sharing things and people are <laughs> policing stuff. But again, that's maybe a different podcast. Yeah. Um, but speaking of podcasts, we're here to talk about Premiere. Uh, in order to get us in, I'm going to go ahead and read us a little summary of the plot here. And all right. So Premiere, 30 years ago, a small collective of humans in moments of stress tapped into what appeared to be pyrokinetic abilities, causing severe destruction and death completely by accident. As a result, Collectively, people kept cool heads, and through patience and cooperation, peace ultimately won out. Just kidding, it was a shit show, obviously. Half the planet got burned in a terrible cataclysm, and humanity at large considers these burnished to be terrorists and criminals. We follow a firefighter named Gallo, who confronts the leader of Mad Burnish, Leo Fotia. With the help of his team, Gallo is able to capture Leo and his compatriots. However, we learn that this was all part of the plan, and Leo was able to liberate his fellow Burnish from experimentation. Gallo is rewarded by his personal hero, Cray Foresight, for his heroism, but is conflicted when he witnesses his favorite pizza boy arrested for being Burnish, despite committing no crimes. Wait, Gallo thinks, for the first time ever, is there context for the power structure I uphold? Nah. While skating it off with Ina, Gallo appears happens upon Leo and the escaped Burnished witnessing firsthand the pain they have suffered at the hands of Cray. He confronts Cray directly, who reveals that the planet Earth is a ticking time bomb, waiting to explode in six months. With the help of Ellis, Harris, Ana's sister, Cray has been developing a warp drive that is powered by the literal agony of Burnish. Gallo finds this unacceptable and is attacked and jailed who reveals, uh, by Cray, who reveals his distaste for Gallo. Leo and the Burnish are discovered by Freeze Force due to a mole in their ranks. It turns out they anticipated Leo's gambit and used it to find all the Burnish at once. They are all captured, but Leo escapes thanks to the sacrifices of his team. Leo launches an impassioned assault on Cray, allowing Gallo to escape. Gallo, for some reason, intercepts Leo before he can confront Cray directly, landing on Gallo's frozen lake and uncovering a secret hidden lab. <laughs> There they meet Deus Prometh. Deus was a scientist who worked with Cray, studying the Burnish, but was murdered by Cray when they discovered that the use of the warp drive would directly destroy the Earth. Cray murdered Deus also in an attempt to keep this knowledge to himself, but Deus uploaded himself via Gavzel Ministry to a computer and provides Gallo and Leo with the knowledge of the Promare, an interdimensional collective of beings that appear to our eyes as fire, which has been leaking through a portal in space-time in the core of the Earth. Got that? Deus charges Gallo and Leo with stopping Cray with his ultimate weapon, the Deus Ex Machina, a mech with a functional Promotech engine. Piloted by Gallo, powered by Leo, the Deus Ex Machina confronts Cray directly. 
Spectacle after spectacle abound. Ellis sabotages the warp drive, and it seems like victory is in sight, until Cray is revealed to be a burnish himself. He captures Leo, intending to use him as a replacement for his warp core. Gallo, assisted by his team, races to the rescue. However, the damage is unfortunately done. Gallo is able to use Leo's protective frame to dispatch Cray, and uses it to give Leo a life-saving smooch. Together, thanks to Leo's connection to the Promare, they come up with a plan to save the Earth by burning it. A combination of Leo's incarnation is spread and burn, and Gallo's instinct for saving human life will allow the Promare to safely play itself out, therefore allowing the portal to be closed. Cray is defeated, the Earth is saved, and Gallo pledges to dedicate himself and Leo to rebuilding the city. <sighs> That's very thorough, Ignis. <laughs> yep. I, you know, it's it, it's a two-hour movie, and uh, and basically, it once it's starting, there is like. Mm, 15 minutes of pure exposition in the form of dialogue. <laughs> and then for the rest of the movie, it's just kind of going. It is definitely a successful roller coaster. It is one of the most visually... when Earlier when Caitlin was talking about uh, how difficult and busy it is to follow... Like, I was struck with, you know, I, I didn't see it in theaters, and, and one of the reasons is because I, I do suffer from migraines, and I have a tough time with, with crowds now because of it. Um, and now I feel like this was maybe the right call. <laughs> this movie is bombastic. It's huge. Any um, first impressions you guys wanted to share just before we get started going through the plot of the film? Um, I do want to say that when uh, Premiere was not out in the U.S., and but some of my friends had seen it in Japanese and were retweeting fan art, I was like, wow, that's a lot of unusually heterosexual fan art that my friends are retweeting. And then I saw the movie, and Leo spoke, and I realized, no, <laughs> no, oh, it was not. I, I wish I could express how relieved I am to hear you have that, because I confused Promare for the longest time with Fire Force, which is a, a very recent, also firefighting-related anime. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I guess Not Quite Kamina is, is hooking up with Fire, Not Quite Nia, and and I had that exact same reaction. And a friend of mine had had watched the the film and was like, "Oh, I, I love this this boy meets boy movie." And I was like, "Wait, excuse?" <laughs> yeah, I think my my initial uh, like noticing of this film was largely due to Caitlin on Twitter and also another uh, I think uh, a popular follow on Twitter, uh, Fiera Eterna, who was tweeting a lot about this film. And uh, I probably would have been in Caitlin's boat had I not seen Caitlin's tweet about <laughs> being like, oh, Leo. Okay. Steven? Uh, one thing uh, re- immediately, like when I sat down in the theater, it's, 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 it's like trademark Imaishi. Like it moves at such a quick and frenetic pla- pla- eh, place. And after, you know, doing my copious research too, you could really see, like I mentioned, the production company. They exist in the same building as Trigger in Tokyo, uh, Sanjigan, the CG company, and you could immediately, especially when you see Promepolis for the first time, you could definitely see their influence. Everything is very clean, very sleek looking, very CGI, but not in a bad way. There's still definitely a level of uh, attention to detail, even though it's everything is moving very quickly. Yeah, I'm yeah. struck right away with um, Trigger and its eye for style. Like the movie is is like pure style injected directly into your eyeballs. I I was immediately. <laughs> I don't know if anyone here watched the the early 
uh, Spider-Man animated television show, but that that TV show <laughs> was one of the early adopters for CG in in the way that it produced its city, and I immediately was reminded of that. But this looks great. They they did a great job of lending the the setting like its own character in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was going to be super into the movie, um, which sounds funny to say now, uh, but because uh, triggers kind of hit or miss for me. Yeah, um, they've made some stuff that I that I absolutely adore, but they've also made some stuff that I'm like, eh, no thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had never seen Imaishi in like a short form, and I had just come off of uh, Darling in the Franks, which was oh, hot no. garbage. Oh no, <laughs> hot garbage, which was technically a Trigger co-production, even though it seems like Trigger didn't actually do that much. So I, and plus, like they had been talking a lot about the CG and CG anime is. Um, sorry, I keep doing gestures. Um, y'all can't see me. CG anime <laughs> is um, generally not my favorite. Like, the number of CG anime that I think actually look good, I can count on one hand. So I really, yeah. like, I wasn't sure about it. And then I, like, I saw it in the theater and it's just like, oh my god, this is incredible. Yeah, Caitlin, I'm glad you brought up uh, Dar. No, well, I'm not, I don't love Darling in the Franks at all, but there is definitely some creative talent between those two productions. Like you could really see it in the mechanical de- designs when you think back mm-hmm. to Darling in the Franks. Uh, I mentioned during our history pod uh, Shigito Koyama, and uh, I talked about some of his more notable accomplishments, like uh, Big Hero Six. He did the mech designs for the Disney film, but he also he was mechanical designer on Darling in the Franks, and you could definitely see that influence with uh, Ina's jet design. The design oh. work in in, Fran- uh, in Frank's was was not bad. It was everything else about it. Yeah, that was. <laughs> um, but also the theme song. But this isn't about Darling and the Franks. This is about Premiere. That's right. That's right. The just- the I'll, uh, while we're on that subject, though, I will say just because we're we're going to be talking about it. This was my my partner's number one problem with the film. She re- <laughs> she screamed when she saw Ina uh, uh, driving her helicopter that way. She <sighs> hates that. She hates that. I know Darling in the Franks didn't come up with this. This is a thing you can see even in in Code Geass and stuff like that. Sure but the way can. that <laughs> the way that female pilots in in mecha stuff have to like splay out <laughs> in the way that they do is so frustrating for her and i i definitely it's definitely just the worst to see yeah it's uh, it's frustrating for me too it's um, it's one oh go ahead sorry I, I think that was the only but i think that was really the only piece of trigger bullshit in the movie yeah for, for studio trigger work like i feel comfortable showing promare to a general audience more than any of Imaishi's other works. Like, I, I could sit down and show this to someone else and not have to preface it with thick 6,000 typical anime bullshit caveats. I could just, they could just really just go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, um, you know, there, it's normal, I would say, like, normal trigger, you know, how the, the, the camera will view the, some of the lady characters. I think, I think the thing that's unfortunately a thing to say is that, like, the, the ladies aren't really on screen a ton in this movie so for enough of a chance to get, you know, the normal sort of treatment, the Yoko Littner or your, your darling in the Frank sort of situation. Um, but let's, let's go ahead and start with characters, right? Before we, we discuss the plot of the film, I, I really kind of want to go through uh, the, the main cast uh, one by one, because I think for me, I, I largely enjoy this film. I think it's a lot of fun. 
Um, but I have, I, I kind of, I can't let myself do it 100% of the way because of the, the, some of the ideas involved. The burnish in particular for me are, are kind of a big speed bump where it's hard for me to let go of some of the ideas that they're playing with a little bit. Um, especially where they, they start. We, let's start with characters though. I'm the one that said that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gallo, our main character. I want to start with this because I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with this quote I found where uh, Ameishi said that uh, the the resemblance to Kamina is unintentional uh, and that this was an accident. And, you know, I if I had read that before I had seen Premiere, I, I would have been like, yeah, sure, that happens. Like, we have, like, you know, ask Akira Toriyama about character designs being similar and stuff like that. Like, that we you know, that's not necessarily, like, a problem, right? But having seen the film... You know, I, I, if I have a problem with the film, it's Gallo a little bit. <laughs> like, I, I feel like Gallo is um, a, a character that I, I would have been so into with a different, a different context, maybe. I don't know. This isn't necessarily about firefighters and, and public service and how the, that Im- shorthanded imagery can be difficult in, in Japanese pop culture stuff. But it, it's more about how Kamina, or I'm sorry, I did it. <laughs> I accidentally did it. That Gallo, I feel like, is is trying to do a lot of the stuff that, that they did with Kamina, but without any of the work, right? Like, they're, they're leaning on the stuff that I feel like became mimetic about Kamina, but not doing any of the groundwork that, that made him sincere and likable, at least to me. And, and I really would love to put that away and, and just appreciate the character for what he is in this film. But, <laughs> but he's identical to Kamina and he acts just like Kamina. Um, and, and so it's tough for me to appreciate Gallo in his sort of like god of himboness that, that he definitely is eliciting in this movie. Like when you watch him do stuff, he's a lot of fun. Um, I, I, you know, we don't normally do this, but I, I did, uh, I like the etymology for the naming in this movie is very on the nose and on purpose, right? Like the, the names are all pretty either in, insanely straightforward, like your, your Deus Prometh, which is m- my favorite name in all of fiction, <laughs> maybe. Um, but, uh, Gallo is, uh, the, the, the best thing I could find there would be, uh, Portuguese for rooster. Uh, there is a, apparently, <laughs> yeah, that right? tracks. Isn't that incredible? Um, apparently, there is a a parable, uh, the Gallo de Barcelona, uh, which is a parable about a rooster who saves a man from execution. Uh, that that tracks. That seems that seems to track for our boy. Um, and then his last name, Themos. Uh, I, there's uh, there's a lot of Greek in this movie with Prometheus and uh, Fatio is is Greek for fire, and uh, you know <laughs> I couldn't find anything for Cray. Um, <laughs> Other than maybe he's cray cray, I don't know. Um, uh, Kratos was the closest I could find. You know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I imagine this is the Prometheus Kratos and not the. Yeah, um, no, sorry, I'm laughing about something completely different. Um, just just a a, a name from the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some more some more old inside jokes. I would say, you know, don't don't worry too hard about yeah, it. Don't, uh, don't worry about uh, it. 
don't know. Is this a God of War two Colossus of Rhodes? Some some kind of nonsense of that. Anyway, uh, in a way, just a mutual friend who would cosplay, and uh, he had he had a deep bass oh, voice, and he would he once cosplayed as as Kratos from the God of War series. Yes, and and, and he was also a, a skinny, very nerdy looking. <laughs> Incredible, perfect, the perfect cosplayer for Kratos. Then, uh, yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, and I feel I I I can feel myself being no fun, Nancy, as I'm talking about Gallo here. Yeah, well, and how I, it I didn't wanna, work so wanna, for me. I want to come at you, actually. Yeah, uh, please I do. Please do. Disagree. So I I think I watching the film again. You know, so obviously you saw it in theaters, and then watching it again, and having the recent experience. I should mention to you for context, uh, if you're someone who's listening to this without having listened to Mechanations previously, we just got off doing a full watch of Goron Lagan. So you know, I think some of the hosts of Mechanations here, you know, we have uh, Goron Lagan very fresh in our minds to do that sort of comparison. And um, and one of my takeaways from Goron Lagan was that I was kind of unhappy with Kamina. And now, of course, Premiere is a film, less, less time to really do uh, you know, character development. I think this was a quote we discussed in our history episode last week, which was that the character of Galo had to be more fully formed, that there wasn't the time because it wasn't you know, a 26-episode series. And I think with Galo, the thing that impresses me is that he, he similar to Kamina, but maybe more consistently than Kamina, uh, Galo has that, uh, that emotional intelligence uh, both for himself and I think also sort of for others in, in the way that he handles, uh, you know, Leo at the point in the film when he when he sort of drags Leo away from attacking Cray, uh, but also for himself when you know when the first time he goes up to the the ice lake, uh, and so I was really happy with that. And I think the other thing, if, if I had to uh, make an argument for an arc for Gallo, the argument that I reached for is, you know, what do we do when we're confronted? with the fact that our, our heroes aren't heroes. You know, what, what happens when we meet our heroes uh, and they, you know, it turns out to not be so hot or maybe too hot, as, as is the case we discover in the end of the film? <laughs> uh, and I think the consistency and the sort of steadfastness uh, I think works for the length of a film. You know, I think if you if you expanded it to a TV series, you'd have maybe be more more nuanced, or I would be looking for other things. But I think for the film length, answering what happens when you meet your hero, and it turns out your hero hates you and wants you to die, how do you handle that? Uh, you know, you, you stick to your your principles and your your morals, and I, I feel like ultimately. I'm happier with, with Gala than I was with Common, who I think suffers from being in a TV show. So re- I do want to be clear. I'm I'm not talking about Gallo and his role in the plot. I agree mm. with that. Okay. I agree that he, that, and I also definitely agree that that the 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 fact that it's a film and we and it's and we can't spend at that much time developing Gallo as a person that limits how much we're going to be able to. But that's kind of what I'm speaking to. Right. For me to use this archetype, and and I think honestly, us being so close to Gurren Lagann is what's making me like invoke this. And you know what? Actually, before I respond, PMC, I, Caitlin, I, I do want to hear what you have mm-hmm. to say regarding Gallo in particular. Um, I agree a lot, very strong with with PMC on this. Um, I haven't seen Gurren Lagann in a hot minute, and when I watched it, I uh, did what I call ADD watching, uh, which is I said I was watching it, but because I uh, had was not yet diagnosed with ADD and thus was incapable of paying attention to something for more than a few minutes at a time, um, I did not retain a whole lot of it. But I mean, oh, absolutely. Kami, huh? Oh, I was just saying, you know, I res- absolutely, I understand that for one hundred percent. 
But I mean, Kamina did make a, a strong enough impression on me. And like, there are some great Kamina quotes. Um, you know, don't believe in yourself. I, I say, don't believe in yourself, believe in the you that believes in me all the time. Um, or, uh, let's, you know, kick, uh, kick reason to the curb and go beyond the impossible. Like, oh, I love quoting Kamina. He's so quotable. But he's so much of that is just bluster, right? Like, Kamina is very much like fake it till you make it. Mm. Um, and I think Gallo at his core is a much sweeter person than Kamina. Um, Kamina's kind of an asshole. Um, <laughs> not untrue. Uh, Kamina, he, like he's he treats Yoko like like shit. Um, very poorly. Um, and like so, Gallo is like a much kinder, much gentler version of Kamina, with a lot of the same same sort of positive qualities, a lot of the same hot headedness. Um, well, positive and negative qualities, like the impulsiveness. He is... Kamina, how old was Kamina supposed to be? He was like 17. <sighs> Age is an yeah. anime. That's always a He's, dicey subject. I don't Age know. Age is an anime. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but, like, Gallo... I could see Kamina, like, becoming like Gallo, like, after he's had a chance to, like... When he's still... He still has, like, a lot of that energy and a lot of that drive, but, like, he's had a chance to kind of mellow out and get over his um, kind of shitheadedness. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, I do enjoy Gallo a lot more as a character. Um, and I think his, you know, like PMC, his arc of meeting his heroes, of learning to question his, um, his assumptions and what he took for granted, uh, is, is a really important arc and very, like, relevant to the times, too. Totally. I, I think that's a actually really fair point. Um, Steven, I, while we're on the subject of Gallo, did you want to did you want to chime in before I do my... Yeah, I was going to... Uh, Caitlin took the words out of my mouth, and uh, she basically hit all my points. I'm, I'm fresh off a first draft of an essay on Gurren Lagan where I touch on some of this stuff, and I, had, I revisited my earlier notes on the first half of uh, Gurren Lagan. And co- the, the issue with Kamin is he's very inspiring. Like, I talk about him being a catalyst for revolutionary action, but he's also a big dick, too, and he never really grows out of that. And I'm able to empathize more with Gallo because he's kind of like a big nerd, and that's one attribute that Kamina does not have. Like, um, Gallo's enthusiasm for... I'm trying to get the exact word here, but like the Matoi mat- yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, you know, his interest in Japanese history, specifically as it pertains to firefighting, that was very endearing for me. There was less um, obstacles in the way of me rallying behind Gallo than there were with Kamina. I think, and I'm going to move past this quickly so we can talk about some of the others. Uh, I, I think the only thing I would say is that for me, where it falls apart is that they're they're using a lot of the same shorthand but they're removing the 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 aspect of Kamina's relationship to Simone from this uh, archetype that they're playing with with Gallo, and so for me it doesn't work because all of that the the stuff that the the bluster the the you know machismo that Kamina is famous for to me is a a a uh, uh, not a projection but a performance that he does for Simone's sake. And and to play it here with without that like framing, it feels like it's coming from nothing for me. But I, I also think that you guys are are correct. I, I don't think that the you know I think for me I'm I'm the one in the minority here, and it, it 
has 100% to do with my weird Gurn-Lagan thoughts. Do you think the performance, I mean, because I, I think you bring up a good point, which is what, what who is that performance sort of done for? Because I think here I would say the performance is done for Cray, right? It's, it's isn't so much that it's not the, the older brother, the younger brother. It's him doing it because he wants to live up to the expectations of his hero. See, I, 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 for me, I can, I, I see the shape of that. I just, I don't really see that in the, in the movie per se. Like it, that feels more to me like, like we're, we're, you know, I described it as, as kind of like cutting corners to get to the good stuff. Like, I, you know, um, George Lucas and Steven, uh, hero, uh, Steven Spielberg when they made, uh, oh, that's a sentence I don't want to hear. <laughs> when they made, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the things that they discussed was, um, making a movie that had all, only the good parts, right? Um, and I feel like only the good parts could be triggers like motto, like it's house words. It's like anime, <laughs> only the good parts. Um, <laughs> And titties. Uh, parts in italic. And plus titties, right, exactly. <laughs> um, it's actually funny because we're, I think we're going to keep returning to this idea of, you know, either wanting more or not wanting more uh, uh, from Promare based on the time restrictions of a feature film. Like, we're going to be talking about the other members of the fire department. But in, to preempt that real quick, you know, one thought that originally went through my mind a lot as I was watching Promare is do, would I prefer a 25 episode television show for premiere and ultimately i think you know you got to be careful what you wish for because i don't think so i would prefer myself to fill in a lot of those blanks like i really like the dynamic of the firehouse there's a lot of closeness there but i don't need 25 episodes to spell that out i mean see like little witch academia i was talking in the history episode like i really got behind the two short ovas but i couldn't be bothered to watch the 25 episode television show which does fill in a lot of those blanks i would prefer to do that on my own yeah, I think um, we definitely yeah. learned this lesson from from Pat Labor, where we ended up enjoying the Pat Labor films so much more than the OVA. I do want to say that you should try the Little Witch Academia TV show because it is delightful. Yeah, um, I would back that up. After wa- after watching a whole heap of uh, emaciated trigger related materials, I definitely plan on it. I want to watch a brand new Animal first when that hits Netflix in a few weeks. And then I'm thinking about doing yeah. Little Witch Academia over the summer yeah, as well. Yeah, and Little Witch Academia is Yoshinari, not Imaishi. Yeah. So it does... Yeah, we talked about that yeah. too. Because he's, uh, his work is far more palatable than uh, Imaishi's at uh, times. Little Witch Academia I would show to a, a five-year-old without worrying about um, about like them being exposed to something that they shouldn't be. Um, yeah. And at the same time, it is still perfectly lovely for adults to watch yeah that's valuable it's that's rare you can't there's not that many stuff like that it is it is um and i'm a i'm a preschool teacher so i think a lot about what things are appropriate for children so Ah, another teacher on the podcast i'm I'm a high school teacher myself and actually it's funny because a lot of my students we talked about like different audiences and different age demographics too so it's very difficult at times to discuss anime with them because their tastes differ far from mine especially because i'm running a mech podcast but i can't tell them i'm running a mech podcast either so i'm like in the shadows in that regard (laughs) and being of a younger generation too mechs hold no appeal to them whatsoever but you know the the anime portion of my class is small like those who are interested in anime but at the end of i teach an ap english class and i historically not this year of course i show them when they finish the ap test there's a very there's a small segment of anime films that i could show them that a a general audience would enjoy and b would be age appropriate so it's really either Howl's moving castle or spirited away which they love immensely everyone yeah i mean studio ghibli but you know those those films you can 
those are the top you could show the the top 99 percent of films and studio ghibli films are still better than most of those regarding since we're here at the 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 firehouse we could talk about these guys um we have uh someone who i've been referring fondly to as peridot but her name is lucia um uh she's voiced by in the dub she's voiced by i'm pretty sure that's carrie walgren i did not look this up um but she's doing her haruko voice and so i'm almost positive that it's her uh i i found this character delightful i love that she uses a fight stick for her for her computing (laughs) um i could have used more of her in the movie but she is kind of like a gag character um she reminds me in in uh girl in there was a damn Oh, I'm just like I'm Babe Ruth. I'm calling it. Um, <laughs> uh, the the dub though, uh, there's especially from uh, like Carrie Walgren, Yuri Lowenthal, who you know Matt Mercer. They're not in that too too much, but them being in it, it feels like they they actively attempted to do like a like a Gynax alumnus sort of thing. Um, at least for Carrie Walgren, I immediately jumped to like I said, fully Cooley and stuff like that. Um, did you guys with Lucia? Did you guys have a uh, anything to mention there? Or not really. Just you said she it. Was she's great. delightful. Uh, all the visual <laughs> gags. I mean, Lucia is also a character, and we can talk, say this generally about the firehouse stuff. The those are some of the scenes where you will do yourself a lot of uh, joy to just pause it and look at the screens. Like I know when I was watching it mm. on the Blu-ray, I was pausing for like every frame of the lockers just to see all the cool stuff they were sticking in the frames. And I think that's true for any time Lucia's on screen. There's always very cool visual stuff, and you'll find treats just by pausing and checking things out. Yeah, I will say, if you are thirsting for more material, uh, Studio Trigger did produce two shorts mm-hmm. that are on the G-Kids Blu-ray. So you, if you're really interested in more Firehouse stuff in particular, there is the Gallo short, which is about eight minutes yes. long. And you get a bit more of that. They showed the uh, Gallo short before the um, the uh, 4DX screening. So I, I, I got to see that in the theater. Um, yeah, no, I really enjoy... They they do so much with so little with the the firehouse crew, um, like just all the detail and like in their body language and everything. Like you really get an idea for like their personalities and who they are. Um, I love that Lucia basically just sees Gallo as a willing guinea pig. It's um, excellent. I can I can see a a fun dynamic that if they were to make more premiere, which I'm not saying they should, because I agree it works great in the movie format don't really need more but if they were seeing their dynamic i think would be one of the highlights yeah definitely we i maybe i I should wait to bring this up when we start talking about our mad burnished members but if they were going to do more premiere i would kind of want it to be an extremely dramatic like may like romance manga that's what i would want (laughs) (laughs) but that would probably ruin the tone (laughs) but anyway uh the uh, the other thing, the other members of the firehouse include the 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 leader, the head of the. <laughs> what are they? The um, it's uh, fire rescue, burning rescue, burning rescue, burning rescue. Um, and the the leader is uh, Ignis, not me. Uh, Ignis, uh, a uh, kind of he reminds me of a a stockier version of the 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 guy who manned the I almost called it the steering wheel of the uh the um, oh man, the walking fortress of the. Go- uh, the di- gobble decker yes gobble Go- gobble docker, yes I think. gobble you're right he looks like a beefy version of gobble yeah. um Wait, <laughs> the what names is this a, what are we referencing do you, you don't the uh this 
steering wheel on the uh, Daigonzon. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now I remember. Yeah. He has yeah, a mustache. I remember now. Yep, yep, yep. Apparently, according to a this Twitter thread, I should I should look this up. Really, the problem with looking things up on Twitter threads that are that are sourced in the fucking wikis is that like I don't know if this is a real thing. Someone could just post an image and pretend this is a real thing. But apparently, inspired by the Fast and Furious, uh, apparently the the Studio Trigger team are big fans of Fast and Furious films, <laughs> and this character is is inspired by The Rock. I mean, I could I could buy that. That seems right. The Fast and um, Furious is basically anime at this point, anyway. That's very true. Uh, the what's the Japanese title? I always oh, say. The, so the oh, Japanese title for Hobbs and Shaw in was uh, was yeah. I think Super Fast Wild Combo. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Extremely. I I would always prefer that title to be honest. Like, let's be real here. I I, I remember the Fast and the Furious Japanese title being delightful, and now I'm upset I can't remember it. So the other members include. We should talk about Ina. This is probably the moment to talk about Ina. Ina Ardbit. Ardbit. Um, I don't. They don't say her. There's a last name for you. <laughs> they don't say their surname too often. Um, <laughs> that's that's so good. Wild Speed is the the Japanese title for Fast and Furious. That's perfect. Um, uh, Aina is the. Hmm. I wouldn't say leading lady. I that that's maybe I, I I struggle to say that that's maybe too generous for Ina a little bit. She's definitely a, a supportive uh member of the team for Gallo. She is kind of the I feel like the shorthand for her they're using is like action gal, the way that they that she has her jorts and the long stockings and the short top is in, reminding me specifically of of Yoko and of also of uh if you watched Kill a Kill, her character design reminds me of Nanon Jakazare, the the um, marching band. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, that are it, it doesn't seem to be working off of those archetypes. That doesn't seem to be the shorthand that she's working off of. She appears to be more like, I guess, spunky fun. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, yeah. Um, she's kind of well. She would be the love interest in a more heterosexual movie. Right. Um, which my friend has termed uh, her scene with Gallo on the ice, uh, het baiting. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I love That's that. That's a good way to put it. Um, I would say that she's... Um, she's actually... She, she keeps Gallo more grounded. She's the... like. Lucia is his, like, you know, his fun friend who, like, they would get into misadventures with, and she's the one who's, like, not, like, a moderating influence, but who, like, he can sit down and, like, talk things out with, um, right. and who will listen to him. That's a great way of putting it. Lucia is definitely his enabler, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Ina is, is not. <laughs> um... In addition to Ina, who is uh, related to a number, another main member of the cast we'll meet way later. Uh, do, do you guys know what the deal is with this name situation, the Ellis thing? Is this just the, that classic sort of uh, uh, translation of these characters? Or is there... Because I didn't find a Greek sort of etymology or a reference for, for that. Uh, did you guys know I anything mean, I didn't? There's Eris, the goddess of chaos. Oh, I like that. That was, that was my first thought. It's kind of that definitely fits considering her actions at the end. It's it's kind of like considering how inconsistently translated her name is. It's really hard to sort of to get a uh, pin on it. 
And then there are the boys. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to be dismissive, but uh, poor poor Remy and Varys don't get to do a, a whole whole ton. No. Um, uh, Remy is has my my least favorite part of the film. Where uh, and we'll, we'll get to the the pizza the pizza shop where I, I have some thoughts about Remy. But um, Varys is a big guy and he's big. Uh, visually, he's very fun because Trigger really draw. They they animate these these huge guys in a really fun way. I'm thinking of um, gosh, I can't remember. Gamagori. Yes, yes, Gamagori from from Kill a Kill was also extremely fun. Um, Lord Genome from uh, Garen Lagan, who I I think it's probably more fair to compare um Cray to Lord Genome for for obvious reasons, uh, but. That's also the the sort of uh, the thing about Trigger is that because you're getting such a like visual feast, even if the characters are a little bit more flat, like we we kind of have with with these two, because of the shorthand and because of the interesting things they get to do on screen, it, it's it's kind of fine. It's fine, you, especially when you see like Remy. Like you can tell that if this was like a a, a school life show, he would be the class president or whatever. <laughs> Um, and you see Varys, and you, you you know you get the idea. He seems like a gentle giant, right? Like you 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 see his backwards cap, and you know the the way that he is shown to be like the my maybe my least favorite visual shorthand for him is how he like eats a pizza whole. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, <laughs> but you know it's fun, right? It's it's hard for me to be like, and this is painting him as a monster, clearly. Um, but it, it's one of those things where uh, I I'm titchy when it comes to visual shorthand with especially with uh uh, characters who appear to be people of color that are trending towards some you know not lazy but shorthand sort of stuff but it's it's hard because neither of them are in that movie that much did i did you guys have any thoughts on remy or varus i think for me the the thing about our our burning rescue fire team or anything else is that i feel like they they exist in in counterpoint to freeze force which is just like uniform and faceless and evil and so i think a lot of and so i i guess i'm more willing to forgive the shorthand when you keep saying like hey look at these you know they're (laughs) we don't spend a lot of time with them but they are full human beings or or, you know appear to be at least We're, we're trying to convince you that they are uh, you know, and look at that in contrast to you know a, a nameless, faceless, evil goon squad, and isn't that isn't aren't these the better people sort of sort of thing? So I, I think that was like a lot of the window I viewed them as like they're they're fun, they're helping people, and they're not freeze force. Like really, truly, it's important not to be freeze force. I, the I, I really like that point about the visualizing them and and the fact that they have characterization in their design. That that is a super strong point as like. Uh, these are our friends and heroes and people versus freeze force who are you know <laughs> Remy and Varys are shaped like a friend yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> speaking of shaped like a friend I, I forgot to mention Vinny the most important member uh, Vinny the mouse who is apparently inspired by a, a fireman they met in Yonkers named Vinny uh, <laughs> so shout outs to Vinny I guess <laughs> Was what, is the real Vinny a, a, is a person or a rat <laughs> Uh, the real Vinny is a firefighter in Yonkers okay. that they met when they did their research for this film. Apparently, I don't know. If, Interesting. I don't know if you recall, but but I believe Stephen Hero did mention that they did some some research in Yonkers. Oh yeah, if you look at the credits, they they credit the Yonkers. It's like Department Eleven or something in the in the credits for Premiere and also for the shorts as well, which I think is really where I know. I don't know if I watched all of the credits for the main film, but I um I had I hadn't watched the um 
the Leo and uh, the extra short for Leo because I had seen the the gala short in theaters, but I had not seen the Leo short, and so I watched that. They were going to show the Leo in the release that had to get canceled. Um, oh because yeah, because the world exploded. Yeah, I was I was going to go see it again too. It was in April, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember April? Right. <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> Speaking, and I guess uh, last would be... Uh, oh, no, we talked about Ignis. We started with Ignis. That's fine. Um, moving right along, though, from the, the firefighters, we also have our Mad Burnish. Um, I, I, as much as I had to say about not liking Kamina, or, fuck, I did it again. You, wa- you walked into that <laughs> I one. I did. I sure fucking did. As much as I talked about not really enjoying Gallo as much, I love Leo. Leo's the best. <laughs> I could I can't get enough of Leo and the Mad Burnish. They're amazing. I, I uh, their aesthetic is wonderful. The the color schemes are incredible. I love his his boys on their little flame quads. <laughs> I, I like how small they are in comparison to the, like, their big hulking armor too. Well, that shorthand is is amazing because when when we see uh, Leo in his his you know burnish form uh, summon his his motorcycle. Uh, we we see you know his is like not only properly sized for him but like incredibly huge like it, it they do a great job of with with visual shorthand communicating all you need to know about their their status their power you know on mechanations we talk a lot about mechs as shorthand for embodiment for a character right like really what we're talking about is the way that the character expresses itself in this medium um and leo and the burnish are the perfect example of that the way that we see the burnish use their pyrokinetic abilities are almost all expressive to the point later where where gallo will come to a character-based conclusion because he notices that leo's skull Greymon form is crying fire tears you know uh do you want to explain skull Greymoning real quick just uh oh sure uh, skull gray morning is a is a, a shorthand that, that we use here on Mechanations to describe when a, a character who has reached a a powered up state but is out of control and it's usually based off of emotions or trauma. Oh. So this is typically more of a a shonen shorthand thing, but this happens all the time. Anytime there's a, there's a magic system, that there's always a risk that a character can lose control, and that's we call that skull gray morning here. Does that make sense? It does. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I needed the definition too. I for, I got to write this right. stuff down sometimes. Well, you just have to just rewatch. Uh, what was it Digimon season one? Right? Is that yeah? That okay. season. Yeah. So yeah, Ty tries to force Agumon to evolve, and it goes bad. It's it's just it just makes you feel bad. It, it's such a chill little dude to come become like a skull dragon that shoots missiles. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in any case, uh, Leo is the really the main member of the the burnish that we see as far as like characterization goes. I I know in the Leo Hen. We would have gotten to know the. Um, I, I feel bad referring to her this way, but the mummy lady that in the film, uh, who who he comes across once he comes to the other the burnish Tima. that Kray have. Tima, thank you. Yes, uh, I, I actually got confused in the film because of uh, uh, Gallo's surname being uh, Themos uh, and her name being Tima. I thought that Leo was talking to Gallo when he was referring to her, and I was like, oh boy. Um, do we have names for uh, Leo's two generals? Uh, I just Mace referred to them as Gera. two generals. Yep, that's yes. it. Yeah. Cool, cool. Mace Good pull. is Blue Hair. That's Yuri Lowenthal. Uh, Gera is Matthew Mercer. They Fun fact. Mace and Gera each have a tattoo. Did, did you guys know this? 
Um, no, I don't think so. So their tattoos are Raijin and Fujin, which are the gods of thunder and wind. And they are um, guardi- like guardian gods. Like a lot of times if you go to a, a temple in Japan, like there will be like big statues of Raijin and Fujin outside, like on either side of the main gate. That probably I, I gotta check that out again. I wonder if their burnished forms are inspired by the the like traditional sort of way you see Raijin and Fujin represented, like that sort of ogre form. That's so cool. No, I did not know that. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> That's awesome. Do we other than Mace and Gera? Do we we don't really hear or are introduced to any other main burnished members other than Cray? Oh, and we'll, um, we'll get to Cray. The old dude. Yeah, I was going to say the old dude would be the, the next old, most yeah. important one. Oh, the mole. Yeah. yeah. We don't learn his name, right? No. I don't think so. Just just bootlicker or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, that is correct. Hey, man. Um. Uh. So let's talk about Cray. Let's talk about Cray, baby. No. Um, with, with Cray, uh, there is a lot of really cool visual subversion they're going for right away right you see this dude and he looks like the the he looks like captain america right like he looks like uh he looks like that rob liefeld drawing of captain america yeah <laughs> i immediately thought zap brand again but yeah yeah zap Brannigan's actually a better pull right like uh, uh, the sort of like almost like the the kirkian hero of, of like american you know myth and media right um and Watching it again, it, it's they they do a very good job of making the way that he is, you know, they they his quote unquote humility and and the way that he is like kindly bestowing things. Like once you understand this character, having seen the film the first time, all of his actions really become very clearly painted. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of Gurrenhen or Fudge Gallohen, uh, where. Um, Cray is insistent upon Gallo joining the, the the Burning Force, right? Or whatever it's called, Burning Brigade. Um, and we now understand that too because he he wants Gallo to die. <laughs> um, and and in another show, you or, or in other properties, you you can imagine this sort of character usually being in a sort of cryptic place, right? Where you, we don't understand the motivations at first, but they end up being, you know heroic or helpful in the long run like like you know the the dumbledore thing right where you think your everything is uh, like in that footsteps right um cray i i feel like is one of my favorite parts of the movie until the very end uh i i feel like uh his reveal as a burnish there is an aspect to that that makes me feel uh bioshock infinity in a bad way uh, but I don't know necessarily how to. This is my big struggle with this film because if I if I sit here and I poo poo it for having the 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 instigator for all of the bad actions in the film be a member of the the very oppressed class that we see in the film, it it, it starts to make me sort of disintegrate as a person. <laughs> but it, it's one of those things where I'm like, well, I guess I shouldn't take it that seriously, right? Because we're talking about a studio trigger thing where the idea is the spectacle. We're along for the ride. They want me to be emotionally invested in the fun of it, the hype of it, the energy of it, but not to be thinking about it too further in. Um, but this is something that I, I really kind of struggled with, and, and I'm still sort of digesting. How did, how did you guys react to the Cray reveal? So I think it was actually handled, they handled it fairly smartly. First of all, 
uh, great hearing Crispin Freeman in an anime again. Oh, shout out. Um, I love Crispin Freeman. Just say, like, incredible performance. I have never felt such whiplash as when he changes gears during the the reveal scene when he asks, like, what are you going to do, Gallo? And he just goes full villain. Like, incredible. Every time I've watched the film, I lose my mind. But please continue. Um, Because, like, the sort of rhetoric he uses that the burnished just need to learn how to control themselves is you know that that they need to you know that they just need to learn how to live in mainstream society and just not um burn things is um very common rhetoric for members of oppressed classes who have allied themselves with with power um it is True. uh you know the the uh, people who advocate ex-gay therapies like well you just need to learn to to not act even if you have those urges you need to learn to not act on them um it is you know like the the people saying like oh well the protesters need to just you know they need to just be peaceful um right. when like the cops are out there like like literally instigating stuff right um, escalating yeah escalating thank you um, oh no, I wasn't. I was just. I was. I was. Uh, I was not correcting. I was <laughs> joining in. No, no, no. I'm no, right there with you. I is, apologize. It, it is closer to the word I was looking for, but like you know, um, so like yeah, if it were just like ah, he's secretly a burnish, uh, ha ha ha. Like yeah, that that would have been pretty clumsy. But um, I think his villain speech makes it work, and the fact that he is like such like um i mean he's he's a fascist right like for sure like um and the fact like in this present moment and the fact that that we see so many people who are exactly like him um and like you know imaishi will be like we weren't thinking about current events we just want to make a good story anime creators always say that because the moment an anime creator says something political people go at them um but like you know, like the fact that it is so like easily so many easy parallels to current events, to current people in power, um, I think give makes it work a lot better than it could have been if it were more clumsily handled. Yeah, when I'm thinking about stuff like this, I either when I'm studying a text, I will study for if things are a plot concern or if things are a thematic concern. And I read Craze Reveal as being Burnish as a plot concern. They wanted it as a moment of um, a dramatic reveal. I'll talk about this later when we get to the very end of the film, so I'm going to table that for now, plot concerns versus thematic concerns. Because I could definitely see if you read it as a thematic concern, like strictly read it, like on a on paper, it could kind of muddles the message, and there's something similar with the ending of the film and what becomes of the burnish, but we'll get there later. Yeah. Uh, PMC, I'm sorry, go ahead. The only thing I was going to say was that I also found myself, being uh, president of the, uh, the Roshu Defense Force, <laughs> uh, I wanted to parallel uh, or compare Cray with Roshu because both of them, uh, you know, do some some similar plot things in terms of coming to the conclusion that the best course of action to save humanity is to fly a spaceship away with a select number of people, not realizing that their whole plan is going to you know blow up in their faces. Now, ultimately, Roshu uh, is sort of uh, I think comes to the realization that even though his contributions and plans are important, he has to listen to others. And that is, you know, emphatically something that Cray, Cray resists to, to the, his own better defeat, which is that, you know, then that Leo comes to realize and, and Gail comes to realize is that, you know, we, we just, 
we got to listen. Listening, listening is important. As it turns out, is like maybe my my one sentence summary for the film. <laughs> I think um, I, I I definitely uh, this is this conversation has, has definitely helped me shape where I'm going with this. I, I think uh, Caitlin, especially uh, your point about where uh, Cray. What, how his he he speaks and how he explains himself is especially poignant. I think the the number one revealing moment is when he 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 says he declares himself the hero, right? Like that he's the hero that's going to save humanity. I think that that centers what his core concern is, right? That he he can't think of this, even though this is a enormous cataclysm that that was going to affect literally everyone his core concern is his success right he's only concerned about being the hero of the situation and not fixing things and i i do think that that uh and and is being separate from his status as a member of the oppressed society i think that helps me clarify where i'm i'm feeling messy about this um Speaking of of the the plot concerns i do want to talk about um ellis a little bit here uh, and only because, oh, before I forget, moving on from Crispin Freeman, because I did want to shout out Erica Lindbeck, the president of the Horny Jail. Um, the Crispin Freeman, the way he, he performs Cray when he is in his sort of like underplayed form, when he is still kind of on the down low, it reminds me a lot of if you have ever seen early Crispin Freeman performances. One of his earliest performances was as Toga in Shoujo Kakame Utena, And there's a... <laughs> Only good member of that cast, too. <laughs> oh, my, oh my goodness, yes, he is. He is maybe the only one doing any work there. But um, <laughs> he has this famous. <laughs> it, even in the sub, Toga has this famous moment where he is. He's looking over at Utena with these um, trays, Kushinada uh, opera glasses, and he says, "Oh, baby," in English. Um, and Crispin <laughs> Freeman famously just imitated what the Japanese performer was doing. And so you hear Crispin in English go, oh, baby, it's, it's so fucking good. It, it, it instantly brought me there when, in his performance. Um, I, shout out to Crispin Freeman. One of the best uh, convention uh, panels I've ever been to was a panel he gave on mechs. And it was so much fun. Oh, did you um, ever go to one of his mythology panels? Yes. Yes, I yeah. did. Those were good. He, he is he's he's a real one. Christmas Freeman is cool as hell. Um speaking of cool as hell, Erica Lindbeck, uh her Alice doesn't get to do a ton in this movie, but I think it's cool how she gets to be heroic without being the the focus of the film. Like it would be nice if there was a little bit more, well, I say that, but it's kind of interesting how she is allowed to be kind of nuanced in an evangelian way where she is maybe on one hand aware of what's happening like and what exactly the the stakes of what she's doing is but it's chiefly concerned with the fate of her sister i i think that there's there's something there and i felt myself you know liking her even if there she's not in the film very much did you guys have thoughts on alice or is this just me <laughs> I think she was important as uh, as an example of our our different responses to the rise of fascist regimes, and she was kind of that that professional class response of someone who is willing to make a deal with the devil to protect things that are close and important to them. But of course, ultimately, guess what? When you're dealing with the devil, it doesn't pay off. Uh, you know, it does. Wages of sin is death doesn't work. So uh, you know, and of course, she 
ultimately comes around to to the, to the right way to say like, hey, no, I actually need to use my power as a member of the professional class on which the fascism re- relies to reject fascism. So that was kind of my my takeaway that you know she she makes the wrong decision for you know for potentially sympathetic reasons, but comes around to saying, oh yeah, actually fascism sucks. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. I think then when it comes to those are the primary primary character. I mean, there's Deus Prometh, but he is a computer face when we meet him. Uh, I think we do see him in the opening montage a little bit on the news. He's talking about um, how uh, oppressing the Burnish is probably bad. Uh, the let's see, there is Vulcan we mentioned. He's a cop. Fuck him. Uh, let's see. There is. Was I too harsh? I'm sorry. No, 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 that's 100 correct. Because because that's honestly, uh, you know, sometimes uh, direct Ameshi uh, visual gags don't always land for me. But I honestly kind of think the the like the last Vulcan beat where he just gets like, oh, actually, he's just a tiny man in a giant suit. Look at him. <laughs> look at him flail helplessly. Like you that's know what? Some yeah. Good visual symbolism. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah, good. Yeah, you can see on his power suit, he's got uh, those uh, red and blue kind of emergency lights. I think his Im- his visual imagery is, is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Also, the Vulcan um, thing under his breath, constantly saying his name. <laughs> yeah. The part where he and Ignis <laughs> that are is just... fun. I, I really got to figure out what that shorthand is supposed the to be. The part where he and like, Ignis are just growling I, I, their names you know, at we, each we other. We talked about this with Gallo already with the, his, his interest in the Matoy and his fun little his PowerPoint <laughs> to explain what the, the imagery is for. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the way that he, and we'll see it later in, in combat scenes when he's in the deus ex machina, um, the way that he, he does his, his kabuki poses, the, the mie to sort of, uh, <laughs> put a, put an accent on his, his, uh, flexing is so fun for me. Like it, it's one of those things. And I guess this is where I, I connected that, that communa dot as well, that, that sort of way that he, he performs to show his, like, energy his commitment the way in in english he refers to it as his burning firefighter soul uh it's so endearing (laughs) you know it's one of those things where um i think this was what people found so endearing about chris pratt's character in the parks and rec show like that that's the sort of performativity that sort of like running in and being endearingly stupid ameshi i think has a quote about stupid protagonists and how he feels like stupid protagonists are better for telling stories because if protagonists were smart, the stories would be over sooner. So he prefers stupid protagonists. Um, Gallo, I feel like, is a, is a great <laughs> <laughs> exemplar of this. Oh. Um, yeah, you're talking about Kamina, too, and like all his bombastic rhetoric. Like, you know this guy goes home every night and recites that PowerPoint again and again. Like, he's in a mirror and just, you know, posing very significantly as he repeats these words. See... I, I see that with Gallo. The, the difference... I know we're not talking about this, and I'll let this go, I promise. I, I feel like the, the Simone thing makes the Kamina thing different in a way that is substantially, you know... But this is not... That's a different conversation. I, I think we're... The only person we haven't talked about is 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 Cray's helper lady. Is she named in the movie? Yeah, but I can't remember. At the very yeah, end. Like BR, um, I think, is her name? Yeah, B-I-A-R. I, I, well, I, Beer, maybe. When I spoke with Stephen Hero about this, I compared her to, uh, in Kill a Kill, Ragyo Kirian has a, a exact same character uh, who is like a helper secretary. I, I think this is just trigger shorthand for main villain, probably. Main villain has a secretary. Um, As I said, Caitlin, there's, a, there's a professional class out there that's supporting fascism. Mm-hmm. Watch out for them. 
that's a good point actually that maybe that she does exist to parallel ellis as a like non-questioning member of that professional class yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. i forget if we did we ask caitlin what did you have you seen kill a kill or yes, no I have. yes i have seen kill a kill i have very complicated feelings about it i would love again this is i i would love to hear kill a kill is 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 I, yes, complicated is exactly how I would voice my feelings on it. I would love to hear what you have to say. But the, you, the, um, w- when it comes to the, like, how do I put this? I, when it comes to Kill a Kill, and the reason I asked specifically is that Kill a Kill is described as a, a girl meet girl story, um, with, with, uh, uh, who? Uh, Mako. Mako and, no, I, Ryoko, Ryoko. Um, and, and I feel, um, and I feel like, with this movie, they're doing that again, but with Gallo and Leo. Uh, do you do you think that's fair to say? I think so. Um, the like the dynamic is very different. Oh wow, I hadn't even really thought about that. Now, like Gallo is the Mako because because he is the heart and he is the idiot, and Mako is right. the idiot, but she is also a hundred percent the emotional center of that show. Yeah, no, I I'd never really thought of it that way, but I can totally see that comparison. I just love that Trigger did that. That rules. <laughs> like one of my, if I had to pick a positive from Kill a Kill, uh, like my favorite thing that, about Kill a Kill is how much it is a shonen style story that that centers women as its protagonists. Now, the reason it does this is so we can ogle at them, but. It, it's still kind of interesting to see a character who's doing the Yusuke Urameshi archetype, but is Ryuko. You know, I, I, that's one of my favorite parts about that show. Um, and, and it's interesting to have this dynamic within this movie and for it to not even, there's not even one scene. There's a close in the scene where he gives Leo the big smooch, but there's not even one scene where Gallo has a case of the not gays, really, as, as Lindsay Ellis has sometimes referred to it. Uh, the, um, the uh the uh what, what did caitlin call it before het baiting um the het baiting is the only scene where that happens and even there like he doesn't even realize what just happened <laughs> yeah he doesn't know that he just put that whole thing on ice oh, oh no yes 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 yes, yes. <laughs> caitlin did he did pmc make puns oh in college God. as well <laughs> you should have banned him from the floor Oh, the number of times where people were just having conversation and he would just walk into the room and drop a horrible pun and just stop the conversation. So he's basically Kramer from Seinfeld and just bust bust open the door armed with a pun and promptly leave. Um, (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) No. um, A legend. Yeah, and I think, because I think Ina is attracted to Gallo, but Gallo is just completely unaware um oh, my hu- my husband likes to say that Gallo doesn't know what sex is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yes. I I think that that's a a common it's especially when it comes to male protagonists of of uh, Japanese pop culture stuff. It feels like there's a lot of those a, a lot of boys who don't know what sex they, they're is. They're super horny. <laughs> I think they, my wife they made have the no same idea. comment. Um it's it's that No, sorry, no. Go ahead. I was just going to um there was a, a meme going around of the uh uh that uh, what was it I think it's a, a propaganda of of Bayonetta protecting Leon Dante uh and uh, Kiryu from knowing what sex is and that 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 is exactly the sort of the dynamic they're going for with Gallo except like he really 
And I know it's because he saw Leo demonstrate the ability to share one's inner flame. Can I ask the the call? Is 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 the fire inside you? Is that gay? Is the fire inside you gay? It feels like the fire inside you in Promare might be gay, <laughs> which I really enjoyed. I, I sort of enjoyed the, the subtext of of queerness. Burn. I mean, not that queerness burning half the world is maybe not great. But um, the 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 uh, the bylighting imagery of the pyro the the um, burnished flame really uh, at, you know during the course of the movie I kept thinking like you know our burnished members are really visually are, are sort of signified as like rockers almost like there's a sort of a uh, uh, really tight not leather clothing but that that sort of black and and uh, uh, I don't know what it's called. Like those little pieces of metal on to, to sort of like, yes, yeah, studs. Thank you. Um, th- that, that sort of imagery, it puts you in mind of not necessarily queer culture, but of certain stuff. Um, did, is, is this me just, just grasping at straws or did anybody else come away with that when it comes to the burnish and the, the imagery they're employing? I think you could mm-hmm. definitely go down that route. One of the strengths of Promare, in my mind, is how generalized some of the images are. Like, you could read... I read Promare more as a fable of, like, the primordial other. So you could um, examine any sort of historical tension through Promare. You can reenact the Palestinian-Israeli tension in Promare. You could reenact the racial tensions that unfortunately define America in Promare. And I think that kind of works to its advantage. Like it does it's not specifically you know, writers hate to refer to their works as allegorical. Um, I'm actually teaching and rereading Left Hand of Darkness, so it's been on my mind recently. Nice. And to give a quick quick synopsis of Left Hand of Darkness, think we're in a Star Trek Gene Roddenberry future, kind of. And think uh, as if a member of the Federation landed on a planet alone and he had to convince an alien species to join the Federation. But he comes completely in peace. He does not come armed. He does not come with an army. And he himself, the character, Genli I, he has to... He's a very prejudiced character, actually. And he has to make common cause and basically establish a connection with one of these othered characters in order to see his mission to fruition. I kind of read Promare very similarly. Like, Gallo does share some of the prejudices, not to as an extreme degree, but as he shares many of the prejudices that define Promepolis. But the film is him coming to terms with, we are all human beings. We all have things in common. And I think that is one of the film's strength, is the fact that some of these signifiers are more general and are more universal. Yeah, um, I agree. I think that the Burnish... First of all, okay, you. Uh, one of I would say that the most obvious piece of visual symbolism pointing the burnish towards being a queer interpretation is the pink triangles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I I do agree that it is uh, they do map very easily onto any sort of oppressed class, um, and gallows. And I agree about Gallo's arc of sort of coming, like, realizing, like, oh, no, these are, like, coming to terms with his own prejudices and overcoming them. Like, one part in the movie that always really struck me, um, because, like, early in the movie, like, he's just like, what, Burnish are just people. But he's still, like, later on when he's in the cave with Leo and all of the, the Burnish that have broken out, like, and Leo has these bags of food, Gallo's like, what? 
oh, you guys eat? And Leo's like, of course, we're people. And Gallo just, like, realizes, like, what he said. And you can see that he is, like, so, like, ashamed of himself for, like, thinking that way when he thought he was better than that. So, yeah. No. And so, yeah, I think, you know, a queer interpretation, I definitely do think that Leo and Gallo are, if not in love by the end of the movie, are on their way towards it. Um, I do definitely, like, I 100% read them that way. Um, um, but yeah, I think the burnish is a more sort of general sort of thing. Fair. Yeah, looping back real quick to Gurren Lagan talking about, like, othering. Um, Promare's kind of, I, I, I ultimately think, I have a lot of, I have some problems with Gurren Lagan and representation, but I ultimately think the, the revolutionary politics in Gurren Lagan are a little more defined, mainly because we're exploring this through 26 episodes, but one thing that Promare really has going for it that Gurren Lagan nudges towards but doesn't fully explore is this idea of otherness particularly through the distinction between beast men and humans like simone teams up with Varel at the end of Gurren Lagann but it's a lot of like high-fiving and a lot of like enthusiastic declarations but it lacks those quiet moments of introspection and Empathy, shared empathy created through both parties that I think Promare has. Given that it's only a two-hour film, we only have two or three of these quiet moments, but I think that is one of Promare's strengths, is how it explores this idea of otherness in the constraints of a two-hour film. Yeah, and, and having that film be fun, spectacular, and primarily an action film. I, I don't want to cut, because I know PMC, I think PMC had something to say, but... I, I do want to I, I kind of do want to come back to this idea about it being like limited by it being a film a little bit because I, I feel mixed about giving it that credit comparing the burnish to the the beastmen and, and the way that the the burnish are treated as as better because if, if I had a problem with this movie I think one of the the issues I had is is the expectation that anyway we'll, we'll get to it when we get to the end because I think we were going to talk about the end but I I, I do want to talk about the, the sort of inciting incident behind Gallo's growth, which is the, the pizza shop scene. Um, the, the pizza shop scene is after Gallo has received his medal for capturing Leo from Cray, and the, the team has decided to go get uh, a, a celebratory pizza. It's a margarita pizza. It looks delicious. Um, that pizza looks good. Yeah, anime food. What are you going to do? <laughs> um uh, and the, the, the thing that's interesting about this conversation is the sort of reasoning that's sort that's thrown around. I, I think that what they're uh, trying to do for the sort of movie that they're, they're trying to, what they're trying to accomplish is what I mean. This conversation I think is fine, but I, I do think that there's a tendency to sort of brush away. I did not like Remy's speech about how, the the burnish are are ultimately the same as you know a, a guy who's very large like like Varys is he calls it super strength uh, but only because the I don't think Varys is is going to be uh, uh, in an oppressed class due to his super strength. Um, did the pizza scene uh, pizza shop scene I, I you know for me it stuck out because of some of the reasoning employed but I, I think it's forgivable for all the reasons we've discussed. Did, did anyone have any thoughts about the pizza shop scene? I mean, I think on its face, a lot of the dialogue in the pizza shop scene was sort of sort of showing ways in which we 
which in which we talk about divisions in society in a way to sort of make ourselves feel better. You know, I feel like a lot of what they were going on about was the sort of stuff that is really more about, hey, we're not so bad. We're privileged members of society, but really, you know, we're cool. It's fine. It's okay. And I think as you know, as the film goes on, and even like right away, you know, even though like because by the end of the pizza shop scene, you see other people sitting at the pizzeria being like, "Oh, this pizza was made by Burnish. That's disgusting." Uh. And so I, I think right away you see that like, well, really, this this isn't it is isn't enough, right? It, 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 all this it wasn't. Oh, our cast is so enlightened. No, our cast has some growing up to do. And I feel like on on the face of it, that the the pizza shop scene is showing that you know even maybe maybe they're better. I, I'm not even comfortable saying that because I, I feel like so much of what they say shows that they have um, you know growing up to do and listening to do. Yeah, super good points. Mm-hmm. I I think establishing them is is not perfect. I think it's something that didn't occur to me when mm-hmm. I was breaking it down. Well, it's like um, I mean, just to draw from my own life, like I've always considered myself a fairly progressive person, um, but you know, I used to be against illegal, you know, quote unquote illegal immigration, um, and like as I have grown up and as I have learned and as I have listened. Um, I've come to understand a lot more nuances of the situation and, you know, the, the horrors of deportation and ICE and all of that. So, like, even though, like, I was never like, ugh, Mexicans, you know, I was, I right. still had a lot of assumptions and preconceptions that were wrong, um, and a lot of learning to do. So I kind of see it like that. Like, maybe they're not as, like, outright, outright, like, discriminatory as a lot of people are. They are still, um, yeah, they still have a lot of learning to do. Yeah, I think in the, in the text of the film, we would say that the, like, they're saying, oh, saying, oh, just don't burn, just don't burn things. But you're not listening to the burnish you're not understanding why it is that they feel compelled to burn things. And until you do that, you're not going to resolve the issue. Right. Yeah. I think the scene overall was necessarily heavy handed. I'm uh, super uh, honestly at this point, I have, I have basically come around, uh, not to say that, uh, th- that I have, I was like, Oh, this scene just, I condemned the scene, but it, it was to me a sort of indicative of the what I would I would call the, the sort of corner cutting that the the story sometimes has to do in order to get to the really cool bits that it wants to do. But I overall I think I've been convinced. <laughs> um, you know we've been talking a lot about substance and and uh, that's that's great. I love substance. Substance is good. Uh, but I want to kind of do a, a roundtable real quick of everyone's favorite scene. Uh, I, and, and, you know, I don't want to, I'll go ahead and, and go first here. Uh, but the, the, the reveal of Leo, uh, refitting the deus ex machina because Gallo thinks it looks stupid is wonderful. Uh, it is maybe the most, um, <laughs> it's, they haven't had a lot of time to establish a repertoire uh, other than their one-on-one combat, which, in, in action anime is the most intimate way to get to know one another. Um, 
but the the way that that Leo understands Gallo's sort of sense of flair requires an aesthetic is is beautiful. <laughs> I find that sort of intuitive understanding like of all the, the shortcuts that this takes, this is one that really works for me. Uh, does anyone else have like a favorite bit that they wanted to shout out? Uh, Leo erupting out of the volcano is overwhelmingly powerful. Uh, it, it's visually, it's in, it's incredible. I think it, there were times in Goron Lagan when I was sort of critical of, of that sort of motion, but I think the motion, the imagery, the way it leads into uh, you know another round of of Kakusei, uh, mm, just incredible, just really really good. I mean, the whole thing. We've said spectacle so many times, but I do think it is like for me that is. You made me pick mm-hmm. one. That's it. I I agree. I think like and especially like all of the different elements that are coming together, like. Because Kakusei, like, you know, it has that, like, really, like, slow, sad introduction before it, like, gets wild. Um, and, like, the way the music comes together with, and the visuals, like, you can just, like, really just really feel all of Leo's, like, pain and rage and sadness so strongly. But that, so I agree, that is an incredible part. Absolutely, definitely a highlight of the movie, but on a silly, like, a much sillier level, um... I think during the initial fight, there are two parts that uh, always get me. One, Leo waiting for Gallo, just doing donuts on his uh, fire motorcycle. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> and two, like the way that he like like sits down on the on his fire throne, like just like bam, legs wide open. Uh, the, chin on his hand. Leo's man spread. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad. Sorry, <laughs> to bring in on. a little bit of the um, the fan <laughs> the, the the fan discussion. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of discourse about top versus bottom, of course. Um, of course. And I always say, like, <laughs> how can you watch that scene and not know in ten seconds? how it's gonna go oh yeah that's actually i i also the my definitely my my second is that that initial shot of seeing the mad burnish introduced and the way that leo that you know that's leo later just sits down in his flame throne that giant spread and the way he's it's so good the visuals are very striking and uh especially leo like man he is i would uh the way that he carries himself the way that he is a, a sort of like you know, uh, the uh, we one of the things that Gurn Lagan does really well. I know we've talked about Gurn Lagan a lot in this Promare podcast, but I, it's it's worth bringing up is the the way that the the Lagan the uh, Gurn Don believe in Simone, their loyalty. You see that in uh, uh, Gera and Mace early on. The way that they will do anything for Leo, they they sacrifice themselves readily for him. Leo has this sort of regal or sort of nobility in his design that that it's easy to see why he's like that and the way that he responds to injustice especially it's like i hadn't been at that point when i first saw the movie introduced to his character yet but i wanted to see him on screen non-stop mm-hmm. after that initial sitting on the fire th- flame uh he's a very charismatic moment. character and i love like and i love the contrast between his like big suit and the like the fact that he's this very tiny kind of feminine looking guy, but he has this huge presence. Like um, if you've seen the Leo, the uh, Leo prologue. So 
like there's a lot of discussions like oh is leo actually like super old and hasn't aged because they're talking about the mad burnish being around for 30 years 30 years no he's he's young he's like early 20s um he's around the same age as gallo um that just he just arrived at the burnish settlement and he met with mason gara who are supposed to be australian by the way just want to throw that in there awesome um, hmm. and they're just like so you want to be our leader? And he's like, yeah, sure. Because um, he just has this incredible commanding presence despite just being so little tiny. I love that. Uh, I forget. Did we skip Steven? Steven, did you have one? Um, so I enjoy a lot of the spectacle as well. I'll give the classic Steven hero answer at this point and say a lot of the quiet moments spoke to me, particularly that first moment when... Um, Leo um, binds uh, Gallo's hands. It's when he's first seeing these burn this group of like burnished refugee refugees like huddled together and learning that he's not so different and forcing him to reflect on his own life and to reevaluate his personal ideology. That really spoke to me. PMC uh, previously referenced uh, some some aspects of Gurn Lagan that he, he had some friction with. And I couldn't help but think of that when our heroes landed in the the secret lair of Deus Prometh, because the secret lair of Deus Prometh marks the beginning of the the like downhill not downhill in quality, but the rest of the movie is going to be the down part of the roller coaster from here. <laughs> um, once Deus gets done explaining to us what the Promare is, what the Burnish are, um, and revealing the Deus Ex Machina, um, can I? Can I be kind of a wiener about the Deus Ex Machina a little bit? Do I'm it. sorry, everyone. I, is is the Deus Ex Machina a Deus Ex Machina if if every aspect of like is like, like the burnished powers are Deus Ex Machinas? Like does it does it cease to function as the sort of like the reference is very funny, right? Like the 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 idea that it is a machine made by Deus and it's called the Deus Ex Machina that's very funny. I just don't know. I've just seen some some things going around about it being the Deus Ex Machina of the film, and like I, I guess in the very very technical terms, in that it was a machine <laughs> given to us by Deus. That is correct. But like, if if anything, the Deus Ex Machina in the film is the the ability for the burnished uh, powers to be transferable. Now I know we're we're talking about the like nitty-gritty of the plot here and, I, and i'm being kind of a wiener I, i'm aware of this I, I know that i'm i'm the one who's looking too much into it and i did enjoy the joke of the the deus ex machina um but i did i started thinking about like well at this point if you if it was any mech that wasn't introduced as the the deus ex machina I don't know if I would still describe that as a, a Deus Ex Machina device, right? Is it Does it become a Deus Ex Machina if it just wasn't set up earlier in the film that this was a thing that existed? Like, I don't know. This is just me being a wiener. No one has to respond to this. Um, putting that aside, I really love the design for the initial form of a Deus Ex Machina. Um, there's a lot of old school imagery that's being referenced with Deus Prometh. Uh, Deus himself looks like a Asama Tezuka character. Uh, it, the way that he looks like Astro Boy's dad or something like that, I'm sure is on purpose. I'm sure he is. Um, even uh, Stephen Hero, you watched Kill the Kill recently, right? Um, Unfortunately, Ryuko, <laughs> uh, Ryuko's father looks like this when we when we see him in yeah. flashbacks. 
Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and in my summary, I referred to Deus Prometh as, as Gazelle ministering himself. That is a, a Xenogears reference. The Gazelle ministry are a series of characters that we see who have uploaded themselves to a computer, and they spend the majority of their time in the game shitposting the main characters of the game. Uh, and, and that it appears to be what Deus Prometh is spending his time doing, is, is shitposting Cray and, and uh, spying on uh, Leo and Gallo. Um what did you guys think about the uh, this? Uh, a lot of people compare this, say that this is that Baymax showing up for the, the designs in the film. Did you guys like the Deus Ex Machina? So this is funny because you already mentioned the plot point about uh, Leo sort of fixing the appearance for for Gala because I'm right there with Gala. That initial design, I think I I think this this came up either when we were discussing Girl in the Gun or maybe Gunbuster or something where uh, there had there had been a moment in Premiere where I was like, this just isn't doing it for me. Can you fix it somehow? Uh, that sort of older retro. I think your your comparisons to you know to to Astro Boy or things of that era are right. That does, I don't know. That roundedness doesn't work for me. I need I need like sharp jagged edges. The more the better. It's very. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I was thinking it's very Gunbuster. in twenty eight. That's kind of. Oh, good call. Or Gigantor, if you prefer. Yes, yeah. That we talked about that in our ancient history initial. What what our mechs podcast is? Um, uh, the uh, Gigantor. Um, it's, um, what was, gosh, I, I, I had a thought and it just escaped me. It's terrible. Oh, PMC. I wanted to ask, um, did, did the explanations of, of extra dimensional aliens make you as furious as the secondary moon hidden in the, uh, in the earth's atmosphere or, or were you fine with it this time? No, you know, I think it was, I was pretty okay with it because I think the, like it, any sort of uh, friction that I would have had with that, I think ultimately gets sort of washed away because the 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 mechanics are really there for the the thematics is that hey if you let the pro mare be the pro mare this will stop being an issue you just got to find a way to, to to help them out um and so i think you know any of the any of the weirdness of uh interdimensional aliens you know leaking through uh, a, a hole in space time in the core of the planet uh from another sun i was like you know what sure yeah it's fine it's <laughs> it's cool um, so then from the Deus Ex Machina, um, I forget, did we, uh, did I skip Steven and Caitlin? I'm sorry. What did you guys think of the, the design there? I don't generally have strong feelings about mecha designs. <laughs> fair. Super duper fair. Um, it was, I was, eh, eh, one big meh. It reminds me of the football designs, the, like the football player designs from, uh, Gunbuster when they're doing the push up. Oh yeah. spacesuit ones. Good call. That is definitely. I just uh, for me, I just liked his lighter hands. <laughs> I like the lighter hands a lot. Mm. Um, and the um, the way again to bring up embodiment. Uh, the idea that when uh, Leo and Gallo combine, uh, that's when they reach their true form. The 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 mm. Leo de Gallon uh, that we we see initially. There is something there that is uh, in Gurn Lagan. The the pilot that was in the head mech and the pilot that was in the chest mech. You could definitely see where there is a. Uh, a heart and a heart or heart and a mind to it a heart and a heart <laughs> you know the heart in your head he that's had a brain heart. for a brain and a brain for a heart <laughs> yeah exactly um and and here they're they're picking up on so, sort of that same idea but it, it, in this case it, it instead of a brain and a heart it appears to be like like uh two separate but equal flavors of of like ire against injustice right 
like like ultimately what what gallo likes is helping people most of all he likes helping people more than anything else and looking cool and japanese stuff those are the things that he likes and leo that's the fourth thing um and then with leo like he has a very he's ultimately completely concerned with the state of his people right that he is he he wants to express what the burnish are trying to express while also keeping them safe he reminds me a lot this is this is where I had issues with with Premier, if I'm being honest, if I'm going to be completely and open up this bag of snakes. The the Burnish remind me a lot of the X Men and and mutant kind in in Marvel comics, comics specifically. The the movies are something different. Uh, there is a a real sense of the and especially the sort of vague way that the Burnish stand in for a, an oppressed minority. You know, the, the X Men have been doing that as a as a story for a long time, and there's there's a sort of mixed bag about the, that as a metaphor, and and I think that's kind of where the the Burnish as a as a general metaphor I, I like a little bit less than the read of of the more specific queer lens that we were talking about. But anyway, separate issue. Um, Real quick, if I could jump in, there's one thing I do because we talked about how the writer Nakashima he likes to start off with like a. A catalyzing symbol, Gurren Lagann the Drill, uh, Kill a Kill clothing. And we talked about it before he came up with the idea with Flame. The one thing I appreciate about like the lore of Promare is that um, the Promare as, I guess, an alternate dimension alien race, they don't coerce their... It's not like a parasitic relationship. They're not feeding off the host. It's more of a mutual relationship where they happen to exist in our world, resonate in our world, and they resonate specifically with specific people. Like, there's one of the reasons why I don't think, like, the comma we work as, a, like, a, a symbol of liberation in Kill a Kill is because, you know, they're oppressed by the male gaze. They're, they're meant, they they force the, they allow the audience to gawk at its characters, or the specifically the female characters. Right. But I think because that the, the flames aren't, aren't coercing humans or, like, forcing humans into this relationship, they're, they're mutually benefiting in a way outside the societal stuff i think it works more for me personally something that i liked about the premiere this is separate from the previous conversation but to to uh, uh, staple onto what steven hero was saying um in the intro you can see the the premiere not choosing but the the first people who are going to uh establish themselves as burnish you know we have the man on the train who's very stressed out um, we have the the woman who's being abused by her partner or what have you, um, and then there was another initial one that I cannot remember. It was like a, it was a guy stuck in traffic. <laughs> yeah, traffic man. You're right. Um, and and with two of those, we can see situations that are like normal stress, where you can understand where someone could lose their cool, even though that's unacceptable. But that's not like you know outrageously out of the question you could see someone losing their cool for being cramped on on a a train or or stuck in traffic right um and with the 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 woman who's being abused it feels like the initially that the the burnish the promare was attracted to stress of some kind right like that there was some kind of attracting or unifying thing around stress or friction or emotional turmoil of some kind And, and i really like that idea that, that there was, a, you know, before the Burnish, like, became a known entity, that, that the, the Burnish were already attracted to folks who would already be in oppressed positions sometimes. Not always, because we do see people who are just assholes, right? Like, we see a guy who's just having, like, an argument outside of his car, and he just breathes fire on someone, right? Like, Keep that's throwing not- a tantrum. 
Right. Yeah. Um, we see like online commenters, you know, we see um, uh, Steven Hero shout outs and we see a professor who is like blowing fire at shitty students, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's a mix of justified and unjustified, you know, releases, emotional releases. Right. Um, and and the, the pitch that the opening makes is that, you know, and this is the point of the movie that, that when you can't when you're not listening, when you don't hear what is trying to be expressed, you know, it, it, it burns the world right it 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 combusts right um and and i think that imagery is so strong and and that's why the 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 cray stuff kind of landed mixed for me but I, you know with i've having discussed that with you guys i definitely feel like the movie i think maybe overall i i maybe it didn't give this movie enough credit um it definitely has uh uh more substance behind its ideas than i initially thought uh, sitting here having this conversation, bouncing it off of you guys, and I definitely, I the other thing I will say is that um I felt this way watching it a second time. Definitely, the first time of watching the dub, I came across, I came away with it feeling like this was fun, but not like meaty. Uh, and, and but the second time, it it, it felt easier to n- not get weighed down by its non meaniness. But anyway, I'm I'm wrapping up the podcast when we're not there yet. <laughs> Real quick, though, I will say one cray bit that did rub me. It's a, it's a small quibble, but it did rub me the wrong way. I thought the revelation that he wanted Gallo dead the whole time was a bit gratuitous. Like we've already established the fact that Cray is like dang nasty evil. Like I, I personally didn't need any more fuel for that flame. That argument was made and finished for me. And I think there is, if we're talking about substance, I think there is a hard truth with growing up and realizing that your heroes aren't all they're cracked up to be like realizing that the institutional forces that helped you that help raise you are flawed to some degree and the, the fact that cray has been plotting gallo's death the whole time is kind of a little too reductive for me it's a little too simplistic and i didn't think that gallo needed that extra push I, I felt he was he should have already been pushed to that degree to challenge these institutions to begin with Again, minor quibble, but something I noted. Yeah, I guess it's the the extent to which you view that as like personal, because I feel like when we think of leaders like Cray, they do that truly on a mass scale, right? Because mm-hmm. you know everyone in Burning Rescue, or you know everyone in, uh, in in an army or something like that, right? You're 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 pushing these people because they are expendable, uh, you know, expendable capital in the eyes of you know some powerful figures. Uh, and so I guess I, I, you know, it's it's one of those things where like how how personal how personal was it? Now I guess maybe in the case of Cray, it is justified in being personal because of how intertwined with Cray's uh, brand, you know, dab on the brand uh, story that <laughs> uh, you know that Gallo is because of the rescue. So maybe I you know, I would say it, the personal attention is justified because of the narrative and the narrative Cray wants in that Gallo's unable to be separated from that narrative except by death um the one thing I'll, I'll also state when it comes to cray uh they they're they're pretty uh careful about establishing how he so he rescues gallo and largely he uses it for clout uh, he admits that he uses it to help him get even more ahead and so I, I feel like the the way that he is so aggressive about like i just really wanted to be rid of you I agree with you that it, it's on the nose in, a, in almost a moment that is too much for a character who I, I think I'm coming away with him being more interesting than I initially gave him credit for, but who's definitely a little bit 
like just just villain man right like he shoots deus he is he is not concerned about the destruction of the earth that's being caused by his plan he is only concerned about his his success really uh the fact that he's resenting being saddled with gallo and that gallo is it doesn't even have the good grace of like resenting him back i, I think just I, I can see in his head where he is just done with gallo uh there's right. there's so, um sorry can i can i jump in because a thought just formed Absolutely. in my head yeah no um i think it is a, like a level of malice there but i think it's almost it's it's separate from his like uh evil like um his sort of his fascism is because like gal is a big golden retriever he's just <laughs> he's just a big blue golden retriever right and so and this is sort of me trying to fill in the narrative blanks in my head um but i imagine that gallo probably like refused to go away right like Mm. he probably like hung tried to hang around cray as much as he could and cray was like and cray couldn't just be like go away i don't actually like you because he had to keep up this image of the virtuous leader Mm. and so I can imagine someone like Cray wanting Gallo dead just out of pure personal dislike. Just like, I want this guy out of my hair. How can I get him out of my hair? I will try to try to get him into conditions where he will get his ass killed. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's sort of my interpretation of the relationship. Um, yeah. And we do see a bit more of that with the uh, Gallo short, where we see specifically Cray telling Ignis to, yeah, put this guy on the front lines, please. Yeah, I think there's also something to be said about, you know, Gallo being like a, almost a living refutation of everything that, that Cray believes. Like, Cray is a dude who is who's looking out for number one, and, and uh, uh, Gallo couldn't find number one if you gave him a chart. Like that's the thing with Gallo. Like he'll he'll just save the whole chart. Um, the you know uh, when it comes to the the general plot of the movie, I feel like we've covered the most most of the bases. There, are there any individual bits that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to highlight, Caitlin? No, I. All right, yeah, no, don't. I don't. I don't really have any extra what? thoughts at this point. I am much like Gallo, head empty. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of, so to maybe get to some dessert, just as sort of we're, we're winding down here. Uh, one thing I want to shout out is that I love, love, love the way. I and mean, we've talked already about how this film is sort of explicit about some things like Deus Ex Machina. I really love, especially during the uh, major mech fight at the end, how the film is so explicit about the names of attacks and you know decked out matoy and all the various uh, cray weapons and how the cray weapons tie into his power and his plans for the future uh, i think all that stuff was so fun and so incredible and he also and the way crispin freeman really just tears into stop making up stupid names you know just really really going in um that just made it so fun for me Oftentimes, and then immediately makes up a stupid name right and immediately <laughs> makes up a stupid name exactly right it's, it's only stupid when you do it you know that's that's kind of what he's doing um, I love it because it, it, it characterizes things and makes it fun. Sometimes, you know, that's a very stylistic thing. The the like the big attack name and yelling out your attack name as you do it. I'm sure I'm sure Ignis, for example, could talk about that way in way more than I could as a structured thing. But I 
I just found the way this this film does it to be very pleasant and palatable for me in a way that sometimes that rubs me the wrong way. Uh, maybe because I'm not having enough fun because I'm, I'm I'm a fuddy duddy. But uh, it was good. It was fun. It was enjoyable. Good job. Yeah, it was a clever bit of world building. I agree. Yeah, we we didn't hit on it just because there's so much in every. You could pause any frame and just sort of marvel at it. But the the visual gags of introducing things and the actual name of the thing appearing in the physical space of the characters is it's excellent. You'll see even when characters have like title cards, and if they're on like a screen the other characters are seeing, they'll, <laughs> you'll just see those title cards still. I love those uh, uh, trigger visual gags. They they did that in Garden of the Gone all the time as well. Um, the that's, only other thing that's I want to Imaishi. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, the last thing I want to touch on is just the because we're a mech podcast. I feel we should mention the the Crazer X. I believe is what it's called, uh, which is what Gallo names Craze uh, Tank Walking Tank. It is a a big stompy boy as compared to our elegant and uh, athletic looking uh, Leo de Gallon. Um, and then of course we at the end when Leo and uh, Gallo get into the the core in order to make a new mech and leo of course takes his shirt off which is what you have to do when you get into a mech with your bro uh in the um, words of imayushi <laughs> it is their prerogative of as hot people <laughs> i respect that man we should put that in the quote for this episode that's so good um that's the prerogative good of hot people might be the title maybe that <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah, it's done stamp it um but the 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 way when the uh, gallon de, de leo is Excellent. I, I really enjoyed both both of the mech designs here. They they feel like the the best parts of both the Lesengan and the Gurn Lagan combined into one. I especially loved the combination of color schemes for Gallo and Leo represented in the mechs. It's the visual logic of this film is immaculate. They they clearly thought through everything. Shoutouts also to Varys and Remy's power suits. They seemed cool. They reminded me of like uh I don't know. I almost said Robotech. That's not right. That's more of a Western power suit type thing than a traditional mech. It was pretty neat. I bet you there are cool action figures. <laughs> yeah, like like an Alien 3 uh, power suit or something, right, Ridley? Ridley oh, yeah, Aliens, yes. Yeah. But yeah, I think that, that just about covers it. Uh, I believe we've basically covered every part of this movie up and down. The only thing I think we didn't mention, it, it, kind of just because it goes without saying... Uh, the music slaps. <laughs> the oh, music is so incredible. Good. If you can get the soundtrack, or you could just find it on YouTube, probably like you, you will enjoy every minute of it. Kill a Kill also had good music, and Premiere does not let down on this. I would say, if I had a final thought, that you know, this is maybe the most palatable, and I mean this in the best possible way, Studio Trigger uh, product for people who are not into anime. I feel like you could watch this with a group and say this is a cool film and probably even if the, none of those people had any experience with anime, they would at least have a good time. There would be stuff that would be weird, but it is a really fun movie regardless. You will find something to enjoy. Well, I, had to, um, I had to drag my partner kicking and screaming into this one a little bit and by the end she was like, no, that's a good film. I'm in. There you go. Yeah, it, it's surprisingly participatory even if you don't have all of the anime knowledge going in. But um, that will probably do it for us here on Mechanations. Uh, you can catch us next time. I th- I think we're going to be starting Big O. Yeah, is that going, what we're doing? We're going to Big O. 
<sighs> it'll be a big O history podcast. So you boys have uh, a week off, really. It's all up to me. Oh, no. Well, if you need any help with that, obviously, let let me know. I will yeah, be happy to. Yeah, if you have amnesia to... or anything, you know, you can <laughs> let us know. We'll try to help you out. Yeah, this is pre. It's gonna be. It's gonna be small. It's gonna be more. Uh, it's gonna be quicker to go through than the uh, kill a kill stuff. The uh, the trigger stuff. This is pre. We don't have to do with tomatoes yet, right? That's that's a season two thing. The tomatoes. Am I making that up? No, you're right. right. The tomatoes is a thing. But wait. okay. <laughs> Kaylin, where can we find you? If people want to find you, what what should they do? Um, you can find uh, a lot of my writing on animefeminist.com. Uh, you can also find some of my reviews, mostly of Netflix stuff, on uh, The Daily Dot. Um, I haven't updated it in a hot minute, but um, you can also find my older writing on heroinproblem.com. Heroin is spelled with an E. Um, and yeah, that is, my, and you know, I have a few bylines everywhere. Don't try to search my name because. Um, it's the I write under my maiden name, which is uh, super common. All right, and then you wanna you wanna leave a, a final message? Uh, yeah, and I just wanna um, give a shout out to the memory of uh, Zach Birchie, who uh, passed away about a week before recording this. And Promare was um, one of his new favorite movies, um, and just. We'll miss him. Well, thank you for coming on to our show to discuss it. Thank you also uh, for taking the time to shout out for the anime community has definitely come together when it comes to Zach. And that shout out is appreciated, at least for me. And I'm sure people who knew him would appreciate that as well. Let's let Caitlin free. I, I was one of your hosts, Ignismatics. <laughs> Steven Hero PMC Trilogy and we'll be catching you next time <laughs>